Um, yeah, what a precious week we've had, and uh, uh, hopefully a bunch of threads are now coming together for you into a package that will help you make some great decisions. Just trying to work out how to not be in the light here so much. Um, in this final talk, uh, we're kind of just pulling all the, the bits and pieces together, and um, uh, I'm going to be giving you what you've been waiting for all week, a guide for how to actually make decisions. You could call it How to Adult 101. It's up to you. Um, uh, and so I've got four steps. You'll see on your outlines there, uh, four steps that I will be giving to you. Um, God's will, gospel priorities, gospel wisdom and gospel motives. And then uh, we'll work through a few examples over the page. Um, but before we do, let us pray. Loving Father, you are light. And in your light, we see light. Please shine brightly by your spirit in our hearts so that we may see. Amen. All right, well, let's get into the first step. Step one, well, it's basically all that Mark said in his first, or in his three talks that he gave. So we can condense that and compress that all into that step, okay? So as an opportunity um, arises for you to make a decision, step one asks, what does the Bible explicitly say on this matter? How has, um, or what has God revealed about his sovereign will, about his moral will? What do the scriptures say? Should I murder this person? No, don't do it. There is God's guidance. Should I obey the governing authorities by following their rules? Well, yes, of course. We saw that in Romans 13 just now. So when you're driving home, obey the speed limits. As you get into study, obey the university authorities with academic integrity. That is God's guidance for you. Should I care for the poor and provide for my family? Yes, do all of those things. This step in God's guidance is usually pretty black and white. The second step is where things start to go a little bit greyer and we start to feel a little bit more uncomfortable because we've got some responsibility to actually make some decisions. And, uh, and, and here the second step um, is where the gospel rearranges and orders what we think is important in life. And as we've seen, the organising principle of the gospel is love. Uh, you see that in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 10 that we just had read. It's all about love. That is the organising principle for gospel priorities. So what this means for us is we are faced with two different options where both are morally permissible and the scriptures don't indicate one way or the other what we should do. Love will be the determining factor. What is most loving in that situation? So in a regular week, um, uh, back at home for me in Wagga, now I've, maybe I've had a, a full day of work, um, you know, with you bunch from Wagga, and I'm exhausted. Um, I might have some time before our family sits down to have dinner, and I might go for a bike ride. I think that's a great thing to do, get some energy out. Um, it's good for my health. It's good to clear my head. I always feel better after exercise. Who else feels like that? Who feels absolutely like death after exercise? Okay, yes. Yeah. Um, I always feel better after exercise. And so, yeah, just imagine I'm, I'm getting my bike ready, I'm strapping my helmet on, but as I'm doing that, I look across and I see my wife, Jane, tying up her shoelaces, preparing to go for a walk for exactly the same reasons as me. And she 
uh, enjoys the exercise, that she wants to get the energy out, all of those things. But someone needs to stay home and cook dinner. And you don't want kids going hungry at that time of night because uh, that is a disaster. Um, I know we could just order menu log and both of us exercise, but that would bump it from this gospel priority category to wisdom. Um, but as I kind of think, who should exercise and who should cook? What should I do? You know, both are morally permissible things to do. What is going to be most loving? And so I need to stop and consider how the gospel shapes my life as a husband. What is going to be loving for me? Um, I might call to mind Ephesians 5 and the call for me to love my wife sacrificially. Or I might recall Philippians chapter 2 and put Jane's needs above my own. So a gospel-shaped priority would joyfully head inside and get dinner ready. I would do that and I would let Jane go and do some exercise. So as, as we make decisions... Um, for, for Jane and I, another way that we, we make decisions as well is we work out um, this and, and what's going to be most, most loving as we care for each other um, is sometimes we ask each other, how strongly do you feel about this? Uh, on a scale of, of 1 to 10, where, where 1 is, you know, I actually don't really care about this, but number 10, over my dead body, um, we work out, you know, how much do I actually want to exercise and what is going to be most loving for both of us? If I feel like I just really need to go and do it, like it's an eight for me um, and a three for Jane, it might go the other way. But it might also uh, just, you know, if we both are on exactly the same, it'll look like me serving Jane, loving her sacrificially. So a gospel priority will, um, uh, will drive us to think about other things as well, like reducing our carbon footprint. Um, and love will drive us this because, uh, because of the people who are more affected by climate change than us. It's normally the, the poor people in the world. Uh, the gospel priority will, um, will send me off getting a COVID vaccine, even with the associated risks. And I'm booked in for Wednesday. Hopefully that'll go all right. Um, and I do this out of love because I want to love the elderly. I want to love the vulnerable in our community. Uh, because they are the ones who bear the brunt of serious illness. They are the ones who face the financial pressure from lockdowns. A gospel priority will mean getting your assignments done in a timely way so that you have time to love others when they need it, not just when it's convenient for you. As Christians, our priorities with our time and energy and money are very, very different to the world around us. And, and I know for myself, it is just so easy to drift along with the godlessness of Australian culture. And so we need to constantly assess our priorities. We need to see if they reflect worldly priorities, like the pursuit of, of wealth and power and status. So how can we rearrange and reorder our priorities to line up with the gospel? Um, hopefully you, you already know the answer to this by prayerfully, and, um, by prayerfully meditating on scripture and allowing the Holy Spirit to convict us through the word of God. Uh, but for some people, a tool like this might be of help. It's called an AMP worksheet and uh, assessing my priorities, AMP. Um, for others, I know this looks like a bit of a nightmare, doesn't it? Uh, but some of you, it might be helpful. And, uh, and so as you think about um, ordering my priorities, 
Um, you don't need to take too much notes of this. Uh, it'll be up online and you can download that later. And I've included actually the appendix online and you can uh, see how it all fills in. But basically on this, this, um, this table, uh, you list every activity that you might do in a month. And next to it, you assign a priority level. Okay, and so there's a whole bunch of things. What's on the first one there? You know, your personal worship and devotions is non-negotiable. Um, uh, you know, going to church is non-negotiable. There's sleep there. Look at that sleep one. Um, sleep is non-negotiable. You need sleep, don't you? But there's also additional sleep. But that's kind of good when possible. And so you assign all of these things that you do a priority level. Is it non-negotiable? Is it important? Is it good when possible? Or is it clearly optional? And then you go and you work out how many hours a month you might use uh, doing that. Uh, you add up all the hours down the bottom of the list. There we go. And you work out how many hours you actually have in a month, um, how many hours you are using up. And you can make adjustments where you need to. So, you know, with that sleep one, you need to get, you know, like minimum seven, eight hours of sleep a night. Um, you know, you can't really negotiate on that, but extra sleep is a bonus. And we know we can forego that extra sleep if something more important comes up. And so there's a tool um, that you can check out later on if you want to do that, if you like spreadsheets and all of that kind of thing, um, helping you to assess your priorities. So the gospel rearranges and orders our priorities. So if you're going to do that, prayerfully think about what are those priorities? How should the gospel order those? Well, step three brings in gospel wisdom, which is um, the talk last night, and it relies on a deep communion with Jesus, who is the wisdom of God. And it relies on the wisdom he provides in the church. So as we uh, apply gospel wisdom in decision-making, um, here are some questions that are really great to ask. The first one is, what are the consequences for my relationship with God? What are the consequences for my relationship with God? Will this be a dumb move as I seek to walk closely with Jesus? Do I really need that extra shift at work if it means I won't read my Bible or, or I'll be too tired to go to Bible study? What are the consequences for my relationship with God in making this decision? A second question to ask is what are the consequences for others, for my church family, uh, for opportunities to witness um, you know, imagine you've got the, the option, um, maybe you have this option as students or as you graduate, you've got two different houses that you could move into. One is cheaper, but it's a long way away from church. Um, you need to be thinking, what will this, how will this affect my ability to love and serve others? I know for those who live in rural communities, this is a really pressing thing. Um, how will where I live enable me to stay connected with God and his people or to invite non-Christian friends over when I bump into them? Uh, you know, if you have the option, maybe you don't have the option, but if you have the option, uh, is saving money by moving out of town and living somewhere cheaper better? But what, at what cost? What are the consequences for others, for my church family and for my opportunities to witness? Uh, thirdly, what gospel wisdom do other Christians have? Uh, what might they see that I don't see? Um, there's loads of passages in Proverbs that we looked at in Seminar 1 about the wisdom of listening to human counsellors. Here's a couple. 
Proverbs 11:14, without guidance, people will fail, but with many counselors, there is deliverance. Proverbs 12:15 says, "A fool's way is right in his own eyes, but whoever listens to counsel is wise. It's a call to open up ourselves to the loving rebuke. Proverbs 12.15. Uh, Romans 12 that we looked at earlier as well, um, verses 3 to 8, speaks about God gifting people in the church to serve one another. So what gospel wisdom do other Christians have? Now, step four, this is where things get a bit more personal as we open up the bonnet of our, of our chests and we examine our hearts. We check our desires. Step four is about gospel motives. And uh, there's been a lot of uh, discussion and questions floating about, um, around uh, this week about this, hasn't there? Um, about the place of desire. Um, as I look to make a decision, I need to consider what is going on in my heart. Am I harbouring pride? Selfishness? Am I being lazy? Am I seeking vengeance? As we assess our motives, we need to use the resources of the gospel here. We need to seek God's face in repentance and faith. Because we know to be true what John Calvin says that the human heart is an idol factory. It churns out new idols like the conveyor belt in a manufacturing plant. We know that's what our hearts are like, don't we? And so we need to face it. So here's a simple way forward. Before you make any decision, before you make any decision, repent. Don't fool yourself that your motives are pure. Rather, ask God to show you the evil and sinful reasons why you might want to take a particular course of action. And don't make a decision until you've done so. So ask God to bring about a change in heart. Align your heart to his. Love the things that he loves and hate the things that he hates. Before you make a decision, repent. I think much of the confusion we experience will be cleared up for us if we do so. So the four steps we take as we make a decision, seek God's will in the scriptures, check your priorities are in order, seek wisdom and check your motives and repent. And now we come to what you've all been waiting for, all the juicy bits, what, you know, what you've really come to MYC to, to hear. What should I actually do? Who should I marry? That person who just sat next to me. I'm seeing this is what you guys are like. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. What job should I do? All right. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk us through those four steps. Um, in, uh, with a few decisions that you'll be making in the coming years. I'm not really going to say that much because we don't have all day and, you know, you could spend a whole conference on these different things. Um, and there's a whole bunch of great books that were on the bookstall. So if you missed out, bad luck. Um, uh, jump onto Reformers or Kurong or something and, um, or Wandering Bookseller, where we got them from, and, uh, and dig into them. I'll, I'll mention a few books as we go along. Um, uh, and so what I'm going to do is, 
In this part, I'm going to reach into the, um, the God's will toolbox and pull out a couple of spanners. Then we'll go and we'll look in the gospel priority toolbox and we'll pull out a few screwdrivers as we look at these different topics. So uh, what about work? What job should I take? How should I work? How can I do it for the glory of God? Well, what about God's will? What does God's will say? What does the Bible say about work? Well, first of all, it says you should work and not be a lazy bugger. Um, I think that's the language, isn't it, in 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Mind your own business and work with your own hands. Or 2 Thessalonians 3.10. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Okay? You should work. Uh, if it's God's will, uh, so if we saw, um, didn't we, in Mark's third talk, uh, that it is God's will that we are sanctified, well, that's going to rule out jobs like prostitution and drug dealing, isn't it? Uh, they're pretty obvious things. Um, God's will also means that we should be godly in how we work. Uh, it says a lot about managers and how they care for uh, the people who work under them to pay their workers correctly. Um, if you are a worker, you should be working hard, even when the boss isn't watching, Ephesians 6, 6. And my dad tells the story of one of his employees who would literally go and rip the shovel out of the hands of a co-worker when dad came onto the work site. And he'd be there digging away and doing lots of work. And then as soon as dad left, he'd hand the shovel back to um, the other worker. Work hard even when the boss isn't watching. Uh, what about a gospel priority then with work? How should I apply the gospel ethic of love to my work? Well, the gospel teaches us to serve others, doesn't it? And so work for the sake of others so that you can care for your family, so that you can do good in society in the work that you do. Um, and so the question about our choice of work is no longer what will make me the most money and give me the most status. But knowing what I do of God's will and of human need and of the gospel, how will my existing abilities and opportunities uh, enable me to be of greatest service to other people? As we look at the cross of Jesus, as we see his love in the gospel, our work will be, how, we'll be thinking, about how can I be the greatest servant of others? The gospel also helps us to understand what the time is for. The time is for salvation. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So a priority that we should be having as we think about work is to share the gospel if we have the opportunity to do so. There are some jobs that enable you to do more than others in, in doing this, but uh, look to share the gospel in your workplace. But make sure you still do your job because you'll be a bad witness of Christ if you don't. And you'll probably get fired too. So gospel wisdom, um, what's going to be better then between two morally good options? Um, uh, we should take one job over another that will give us more opportunities to share the gospel. That would be a good thing to do. So, um, for example, teaching gives you oodles of opportunities every day to have conversations about Jesus. And different schools will enable uh, more of that to happen than others. So wisdom might determine which job you take. 
gospel wisdom might be thinking a better paying job will mean that I can give more money away. So I've got two jobs here um, that I can do. One's going to pay more. Well, that's going to enable me to give more money away. Uh, in this category of, of gospel wisdom as well, Christian friends might have insight into what job will be better for you, um, better for your health, better for your ability to serve in church. So listen to others. And what about motives? Um, gospel motives, what is happening in my heart? As we think about work, we need to think about our pride, don't we, and our ego. Don't just choose a line of work so that you'll be esteemed by the world. You don't have to do an honours project just because your lecturer says you should and strokes your ego. What is going on in your heart? Think about greed. Watch out that you don't choose work to feed your love of money. Um, What about ministry versus secular work then in this as well? Well, Kate already gave you great wisdom on this on Tuesday. Um, Ephesians 4 tells us that as Christians, we are all in ministry. The saints do the work of ministry. But if God gives you the opportunity to uh, do um, full-time Christian ministry, well, you might want to think about the ABCDO thing again. Ability. you know, you, you can grow in ability. If you don't have it right now, that's okay. Uh, that's something that God can grow us in. Uh, C for church. Um, are there trusted people that are encouraging you to consider going into ministry? And D, do you have the desire for it? Being an overseer is a noble desire. And so if you have that desire, go for it. And uh, also, come to the Mission Minded Conference on the October long weekend. If you are genuinely thinking about should I go into ministry, put aside that long weekend. I know it's a long weekend. There's many things that we like to do on long weekends, being Aussies. But maybe put aside that weekend so that you can think hard about whether you should go into ministry or not. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 tells us, whatever you do, whatever work you do, do it all for the glory of God. If you want to think more about work, get your hands on Vaughan Roberts' book, Revolutionary Work. It's really great. It was on the bookstore this morning. Uh, Sorry, William Taylor. Who did I say Vaughan Roberts? Yeah, William Taylor. Thank you. Vaughan Roberts is the next one. Yeah. All right, money. Let's talk about money. Um, I'm half Dutch. And anyone here got a bit of Dutch blood in them? Yeah. uh, Dutch people love to be nosy about money, don't they? They love to be thrifty. Um, Well, that's my experience anyway. Maybe that's why I love haggling so much. Oh, it's a spirit convicting. Uh, Well, let's let's think about money for a bit. Um, What is God's will with money? Romans 13, we read that just before. Pay your taxes. Joyfully pay your taxes. Our governments do great work. Okay, pay your taxes. It is a great thing to do. Don't go looking for how can I make all of the um, deductions and minimise. Joyfully pay your taxes. Our governments are there to do good. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5 tells us to provide for our family. Um, Particularly, it's talking about 
caring for the widows, um, the vulnerable in our families. And if you don't do this, you are worse than an unbeliever. They're Paul's words, they're God's words through Paul to us. If you don't provide for your family, you are worse than an unbeliever. That is God's will. Also in 1 Timothy chapter 5, pay those who minister to you. You should pay those who minister to you. Acts chapter 11. And uh, multiple places in the Proverbs say to give to the poor. And so because our home is glory in Christ, this means that we don't live for our earthly home. We don't live for filling it with the treasures of earth that will break and rust and be stolen. We live for our heavenly home. And so a gospel priority then, as we think about money, will will cause me to consider the needs of others above my own. I shouldn't be thinking when I get a pay packet that, oh, what can I do with this? What can I spend this money on? We should be thinking, how can I use this to love others? That's what a gospel priority does. What about gospel wisdom? Um, How much should we give of the money that God gives us through our work? Um, I I put this in the wisdom category because uh, tithing is something in the Old Testament and it is replaced in the New Testament by grace. We're not under law but under grace. We're not told to give 10% in the New Testament. But I do want to say that is a great place to start and pray about how much you might be able to give and be adventurous with that. And as you get paid more, as you, uh, you progress in your line of work, the percentage of what you give should also increase. Now, the average wage in Australia is just over $60,000. Giving, uh, 15% of that is $9,000, which leaves you $51,000 to live on. If you, in a few years' time, um, go on to earn like $200,000, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Great blessing from God. But why not give away 50% of that and you'd still have 100 k to drop on life. That's a lot, isn't it? Particularly as you know, you're thinking of uh, as students or apprentices right now, that's a lot. Like, why not decide to be uh, radical in the amount that you give? Um, gospel wisdom with where I should give. There's any number of good places that you can give after your, your local giving obligations are met. Um, there's sponsor children, there's things like Doctors Without Borders, um, the Barnabas Fund, Starlight Foundation, Fred Hollows, Destiny Rescue. You can even sponsor students to come to conferences like Mid-Year Conference. Um, that would be a great thing to do. Um, and, and I want to encourage you guys to do that as you graduate, to be thinking, I want to support people going to good Christian conferences. But for all of those different um, uh, places that you can give, do be wise by looking into those organisations that they use that money wisely. Uh, More gospel wisdom. Review your giving every year. Review your giving every year. Um, Jane and I do it at tax time uh, and we adjust our giving um, uh, when we've done that. And we think, right, you know, we've had a little bit of a CPI increase over the year. How much more... Are we able to give? 
And it's a great way for us to um, stop and to pray uh, for all of those things that we give to. Uh, what about motives? Uh, what about gospel motives as we think about money? Uh, well, we know that the love of money in 1 Timothy chapter 6 is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil and it will lead to destruction. So check your heart that you're not loving money. Um, on the other end of the scale, we can also be stingy, can't we? Our hearts can be stingy. Now, being a tightwad is just as bad as being someone who loves money. Because you love it in a different way. Um, if you do have some money, you know, don't be afraid to, to spend it. Enjoy God's good gift once you have given away or once you have cared for others. You know, don't be afraid to spend money because tightness isn't godliness. Generosity is godliness. So allow me to give you some wisdom as you approach your first pay packet when you graduate. Um, and this is coming from someone who needed to hear this years ago. Um, don't go on a spending spree with your first pay. Don't go racking up thousands of dollars debt on your credit card or signing a lease to a new car. Stop and, and think, why don't I just keep living on what I have been living on for the last year, the last few years, and give the rest away? There's a radical idea. And as you start earning money... Um, Indulge me for a moment in plugging your AFES staff. Mark's got some uh, things he's going to hand around and... Uh... <laughs> yes, there we are. Oh, there we go. Yeah, get your phones out if you're online. Very good. Um, the majority of, of our support as your staff workers comes from graduates. Um, you guys know most students aren't loaded. And so can I encourage you to give generously to your staff before they even ask? Give not under compulsion, but in thankfulness for their work in the Lord for you. For the work that they do for you, the work they do on campuses, the work they do in training up and sending graduates into the local church and around the world. And please give regularly to your staff and become a lifetime partner if you're able to. Some of my supporters have been giving for 25 years and it is just such a blessing. And uh, on the flies that have come around, um, you're not locked into giving to that uh, person that is in your lap. Um, you can follow the QR code, you can follow... Um, the web address there and you'll find Seno and Leslie. Greg, I don't know, are you on there as well? Because no, you're paid differently through OEC. Orange Campus, is that? Orange, Orange Campus is a general fund for Orange Campus. Um, I encourage you to even start now as a student to give. Um, even if it's just five bucks a week, something like that. Uh, because it'll help you then as you graduate to think, right, I'm going to increase that. And it'll help you as you pray as you pray for where your money is going. Um, and another radical idea in giving with your AFES staff, maybe for the first five years after you graduate, that your AFES staff can be the primary beneficiaries of your giving. And what a blessing that would be that as you know, a number of you in your year graduate, you would be supporting heavily 
a new staff worker, new apprentices being raised up, the ministry that happens on campus. Well, as I wrap up this point, what this is all about is committing your heart and your wallet to the Lord. To be a generous giver because our Father in heaven is a generous giver. All right, finally, what you've all been waiting for, relationships. I bet you were worried that I skipped over it in the outline, hey? Relax, here we go. All right, what is God's will in relationships? Well, we know God is guiding you to glory and he cares more about that than whether you marry or not. And marriage is not an ultimate thing. You know, in in glory, there is no marriage. And so marriage is just for this present age. Even, uh, and marriage ends when a husband or wife dies. He said in Romans 7 or Matthew chapter 22. Marriage is just for the few fleeting years that we have on this earth. And as wonderful as marriage is, it's not all that it's cranked up to be. And so I want to commend singleness to you. Our singleness is a great image of heaven, of glory. It in itself is a glorious thing because there is no marriage in heaven. We are all going to be single, apart from being married to Jesus. But um, singleness is a glorious picture of what heaven will be like. And so if you're single now, embrace it. It is God's gift to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the single life is less complicated than married life and your devotion to the Lord is able to be single-minded rather than divided if you are single. And uh, what beautiful examples of this we have in Leslie and Kate. I want to commend them to you. They are glorious. If you're single, revel in being devoted to to the Lord, the way all Christians should be, even those in marriage. If you are in a romantic relationship at present, maybe it is that God wants you to break up. Maybe he wants you to break up. Oh, Senno, you get an amen from Senno. Um, Maybe God wants you to break up because your relationship is actually sinful. Maybe you should break up because your partner is leading you away from glory. Or perhaps it's just simply that you can serve God better single. God's sovereign will is guiding us to glory in Christ. And so our identity is not wrapped up in our relationship status, but in Christ. So find your comfort, find your security, your hope, everything in Christ. What about some gospel priorities? Well, because time is short, live for Jesus and hold loosely to the things of this world. So if you end up married, ensure that Jesus comes before your spouse and your kids. Family olatry is real and terribly destructive. For the marriage itself, it is bad for the marriage. If, it's a, if it becomes an idol, it's bad for single people, if married people idolise their family, and it's bad 
for the whole church as well. Your marriage must be a living example of the gospel. It's got to demonstrate love. Love within it, between the husband and wife. Love with children in the way that you parent. And love more broadly as the marriage should be open to welcoming others into your family home. Welcoming them into your life and your relationships and your friendships. Um, If you're married, look to include the unmarried in many different and wonderful ways. Have them over for meals. Um, Invite them over for... um, to go on holidays with you. There are lots of ways that marriages can adorn the gospel towards single people. Uh, What about some gospel wisdom? Um, Here's my wife Jane's wisdom to women looking for a man. And uh, I asked you last night who's the wisest person that you know. Um, Jane is the wisest person I know. Um, If you know her... Your degree, I reckon. She's very wise. Um, She doesn't need to have grey hair. Um, But here are the four questions that Jane asks um, her wisdom to women. First one, is he a jerk or a psycho? And I think it's pretty obvious. No. (laughs) Uh, If he is. Uh, Is he reformed in theology? Are you on the same page theologically? Thirdly, does he get grace? Does he understand the gospel? Does he understand how much of a sinner he is and how much he needs Jesus? Do you like him? Seno calls this one the zing. Do you like him? Because being friends is, is important. Do you enjoy each other's company? And as I was chatting to Seno, he gave us one more that he thinks would be really great to add to this list is does he keep his word? Does he keep his word? Is he a man of his word? Does he do what he says? And so, to my sisters here, what I want to say to you as part of this gospel wisdom is to watch out for guys on the prowl. Great work. Love it. Uh, Watch out for guys on the prowl. Because there are guys who go to church looking to pick up a chick. Watch out for them. Watch out, um, you know, uh, don't settle for the guy who just showers you with, um, with affection and is totally invested in you and interested in you and makes you feel like a princess. Watch out. It's way better to be single than in a bad relationship or to walk away from Jesus for this person. And a word to my brothers here. Paul writes in Titus chapter 2, verse 6, just one thing. Because blokes, you know, one job is enough for us, isn't it? (laughs) Be self-controlled. Fellas, you have just one job. Be self-controlled. And don't let your hormones be your guide. Live for God's glory. Now, those four or five tips from Jane are really good for guys as well. I think you can handle more than one thing. So let us think about gospel motives then. Think about our heart as we think about relationships. Well, selfishness is a really big thing here, isn't it? 
Um, If you're going into a relationship because it makes you feel good, it makes you feel whole or complete or... um, Just don't do it. Don't do that. That is selfish and you will use the other person rather than serve them. Don't go into a relationship for selfish reasons. Don't go into it for approval either. Do you desire marriage because that is what is acceptable in society? Or even within the church? That people think you should be married and if you're not, there's something wrong with you. We say there's not something wrong with you. It is glorious singleness. It is a very good choice to make in the way that we can serve God and glorify him. Um, Loneliness can be another uh, sinful motive of the heart. If you're lonely, don't look for a romantic relationship to fix that because it's not going to. Marriages can actually be some of the loneliest places that people live. Only Jesus can meet that need. And uh, if you do go into a relationship looking to, f- to fill that need, you're going to put an unbearable burden on that relationship that it just can't bear. Now, if you want uh, some further thinking um, about uh, relationships, there's a couple of good books I want to commend to you. Married for God by Christopher Ash, and Revolutionary Sex by William Taylor. I think I've got those authors right. Married for God and Revolutionary Sex. Now, as we draw Midyear Conference 2021 to a close, uh, let us finish by considering how to follow Jesus on campus and beyond. If God in Christ is transforming us from one degree of glory to another as we head home to glory in Christ, then the question we need to ask is, how is this shaping our life right now? As we head to our temporary earthly homes this afternoon and into all the mundane things of life. How is what God is doing in Christ shaping our lives right now? I think one of the things is we've got to see that life is not really about me, but about loving God, about living for his glory. It's about loving all the people that God has given us to love. To love your families, love your classmates, your workmates, love your church. God has numbered our days and let us use them well for his glory. In response to God's mercy in Christ, Romans 12 begins this way. It says, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. And as we head out from here, let us have this extraordinary message of grace on our lips. The love of God in Christ Jesus. Let us constantly speak of him, praise him. Now, as we've all been kind of, you know, huddled and loved up here this week, we want to give you a gentle shove out. Maybe some need a bit more of a kick, I don't know. We want to head out into the world 
to live for God, to serve him for his glory. So we're going to be heading back to mission fields where we live on our campuses, our workplaces, our families, our communities that we live in. Let us have this gospel of grace on our lips so that others can share in the glory that is in Christ Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Oh, very good. You're still awake. Good. Now, we, we all do struggle in different ways as we seek to live for God's glory, don't we? And so know this from someone who struggles in all these ways. There is grace for the perfectionist. There is grace for the perfectionist. Don't tie yourself in knots trying to be perfect in every decision you make. You can't do it. You'll burn yourself out as you attempt to do it. Not to mention how hard you are to live with. (laughs) Repent of your sinful perfectionism and rest in his grace and his generous provision for you. Rest in his sovereign will. There's also grace for the Shieldby Riders. Get your priorities right and take Jesus seriously. Make decisions and be faithful to your word. Repent of your lackadaisicalness way of life and hunger and thirst for righteousness. Know nothing except Christ and him crucified. And don't be satisfied, satisfied with anything less. Move towards people in love. Be proactive in being on the front foot with serving God and his people. There's grace for the Shilby Riders. There's also grace for the anxious and the weary. Lean into Jesus. His heart is gentle and kind. Trust his good guidance into glory, for his grace is sufficient for you. The Apostle Peter writes in his second letter, chapter 1, verse 3, he says, His divine power has given us everything, everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. My friends, rest in God's goodness and his promise of glory, which is secured by his sovereign will according to his great love for us in Jesus.